0: Most people don't want to work for a company. They know they can teach themselves these skills. They know they can build a network. They know they can get stuff done. Why should your salary be decided by someone else? Find supply-demand gaps and fill them and make more money.
1: The Startup Sensations podcast. First-hand accounts of the real stories behind the successes, challenges, and opportunities of starting and growing a startup company. From both sides of the pond, with Belent Osman and Shelley Bays. And welcome back to another episode of the Startup Sensations podcast with me, Belent Osman, from uh, near enough London here in the UK. And me, Shelley Bays, here on the today's sunny California coast in the north. That's what I always like to hear. Hello, Shelley. Nice to see you again. Hi, Belent. And today we've got, I think, a really fascinating episode. And it's really about the future of work and primarily around fractional working, meaning professional people uh, having a portfolio career, meaning that they've got different jobs, different gigs, if you like, different appointments, different projects with a variety of people, and that this becomes their way of working, which obviously is different to the traditional way.
2: This is something I've been doing for more than 10 years, but I've never really thought of it As a a portfolio career. And, you know, when I do reflect on it, there is more and more of this going on. I, I see it all the time here in California, certainly in the U.S., um, I'm sure you see this in the UK.
1: Absolutely. And and it is big in the UK. I myself have been doing this for, for some period of time. And this uh, other phrase of digital nomad, meaning that you can grab your laptop and phone and be almost anywhere in the world with an internet connection. So uh, to talk about this really fascinating subject, we've got a brilliant guest today. His name is Ben Legg. And Ben is the founder and CEO of a company called the Portfolio Collective. Interestingly, he founded this business in lockdown, which is back in March, April of 2020, and it's grown quite rapidly. And he's got a fascinating history. He was uh, in the military with the British Army to begin with, and he joined all sorts of companies like Coca Cola and Google here in Europe. So he's got a great story to tell. <laughs> And I'm delighted to welcome Ben Legg, who joins us now from London. Uh, Ben is the founder and CEO of The Portfolio Collective. Ben, how are you doing today? Very well, thank you.
2: Nice to see you,
1: Ben. Hey, Shelley. I'd I'd like to start off where we need to start off, which is, uh, please tell us about The Portfolio Collective. Uh, What is it? uh, And why did you start this business up a few years ago?
0: Sure. So The Portfolio Collective is a global community of portfolio professionals. So portfolio professional, uh, a lot of people say, what is that with well, the clues in the title? So portfolio means you have a portfolio of income rather than just one job, and professional means you have advanced white collar skills. So our community is mostly people who are sort of by the mid to late career. They've done some time probably in big corporates. They've decided they don't want to do that anymore but for a number of reasons. They're done with the politics, the bureaucracy, they want a different work-life balance, et cetera, but they either want to or need to work. Uh, but as an independent person, so you know, and our members do a mixture of consulting, fractional work, interim, academia, angel investing, writing books, yeah, helping out government think tanks, whatever it might be. Everyone stitches together their own portfolio, and we help them succeed. So we basically exist to help people understand portfolios. Is it right for me? Launch them. Yeah, that's a, a big part of it. Um, manage them: contracts, billing, pricing. You know, finding work, etc. And then growing their careers. So how do they keep upping their game, learning new skills, getting new qualifications, uh, etc.
1: It, it sounds a very exciting uh, proposition for many, many people, not just here in the UK, but I'm sure in North America as well. Can you tell us a bit about the, um, the community that you created and how has that journey been for you?
0: Yeah, so right now we're up to about 9,000 people. So this isn't a volume play. We're not trying to be another LinkedIn. We, it basically is quality over quantity, And diversity is cool as well. So what we're gathering is a bunch of people who've worked in every industry, every business function, every geography, who kind of like hanging out with each other because they can learn from each other, collaborate with each other, etc. The journey is an interesting one. I kind of founded it by accident, Um, which might sound weird, but it's how it happened. Obviously, at some stage, I put my foot on the gas. So I had a portfolio career. Well, simply, I've had a portfolio career my whole life because I've always had something going on on the side. I, I can't help myself. But I ditched my day job about five years, because I'm done with that, done with working for other people, done with corporate life. And I, I had some side hustles that I was really enjoying. And my side hustles kind of fall into three buckets. Bucket one is working with startups. So I do some angel investing. I sit in some boards. I mentor some founders. I do a bit of consulting. Bucket two is working with investors, helping them find things to invest in, screen deals. Also educating investors about new technology, legislation, that kind of thing. And then bucket three I just kind of called thought leadership. So I wrote a book. I teach a bit at Oxford University, do the odd speech. So it was a nice synergistic bunch of stuff. It, there wasn't really a strategy, but di- it did work. Didn't know where I was headed. I thought one day I'll probably be a one-person VC. Between angel investing and sweat tech, I was picking up quite a few stakes in startups. And then lockdown began. And the great resignation kicked off. And everyone was reflecting on their life. And I've got quite a big um, uh, community on LinkedIn. And people started coming to me in very high numbers saying, Ben, I'm done with corporate life. Your career looks much better than mine. How do I do that? And I started doing one-on-one chats, but then it clogged my calendar. (laughs) And A, it was inefficient. B, I was saying the same thing to everyone. C, I was saying it badly because I I hadn't worked out what I was doing. So how could I explain it to other people? So I kind of solved all of those, I thought, by launching a workshop, which I called the Portfolio Career Workshop in which I would teach people the eight steps of launching a portfolio career. And I did loads of research with successful portfolio professionals starting out, pivoting, struggling. What are the wh- what do you struggle with? How do you overcome it? Et cetera. Turned it into a workshop. And that way, when people said, Ben, I want a career like yours. Can I pick your brains? I say, here's the link. See you Wednesday. So instead of having 20 calls a week, I'd have one workshop with 20 people on it. And I thought that was it. I thought it was just a calendar tidy up. <laughs> but I'm a sucker for punishment. So I thought I've done the research for the slides. I might as well write an article. I mean, the hard is the research, not the writing. So I wrote an article and it got page one of Google in three days, which I've never done before. I'll never do it again. It was called something like the future of careers. And it just caught the zeitgeist at the moment, I think. And at the bottom of the article was a link to the workshop. So between one article's SEO and a lot of word of mouth, people come to the workshop told their friends, this thing blew up into hundreds of people really fast, like a few weeks into lockdown. And even then I thought, well done, me, pat on the back, you know, bit of thought leadership, helping loads of people, feels good, one hour a week. Yay. You know, I can get on with my life and help a few hundred people every Wednesday. <laughs> but these people wanted to know each other. So what I did, it, it, it was a Zoom, I, I call it a workshop, it was some slides and Zoom, basically. But I said to people, introduce yourself in, in the chat. And people did, and they were so interesting. It's like, oh, I, I just left the army as a general, I sit on five boards. I think I'm a terrible board member, I need some help. Um I was the lead designer of shoes at Timberland. I want to be an independent designer. I don't know how to be an independent designer. I've always been part of a corporate. Well, yeah, I'm a professor at Oxford. I do some consulting on the side, but I think I'm a lousy consultant. So there are all these people that on paper were so impressive, checking their ego at the door and saying, I need help. And it's just so cool and refreshing. And in at the after watch, people say, I'd love to meet so-and-so. I think I can help. I'd love to meet so-and-so. I think we can work on a project together. I'd love to meet so-and-so. I've got a client who needs their help. And I realized this wasn't a workshop. this needed to be a community. So I was in a lucky position at the time that I was sitting on a bit of spare cash that I was going to invest in other people's companies. I said, right. For the first time ever, I'll build something rather than invest in something. Basically put in a hundred grand. So when it's gone, it's gone. How many people can I help before the money runs out? (laughs) And here we are three years later. (laughs) Since then, we've raised 1.2 million pounds or whatever. There's $1.5 million from the community. So we've got a couple of hundred investors, lots of small checks. So we are literally the the platform is built for the community, owned by the community. Um, you know, call me a, a a digital hippie, but that feels kind of nice. That literally we're we're building for our members. Yeah, we've got now say you know nine thousand members. We've had four hundred thousand people through the site. We've got loads of courses, programs, etc. And I think we're genuinely helping. You know, thousands or tens of thousands of people have great portfolio careers.
2: We're seeing changes in the workplace. And some companies are demanding people come back to work full time. Other people, it's really been a change for good. Have you seen any changes in your organization? What people are feeding back, how they're responding to the to the current world?
0: If I start with us, we were founded remotely because it was lockdown. There was no but having I mean, office if you couldn't go. I'm lucky that my co-founder lives about a mile down the road from me. So what we've generally tried to do is we try to hire a team where we can within about two hours of London, so that we can get together for a couple of days a month, something like that. Uh, we've managed it with everything except engineering. Our engineers are all over the place. Engineers, A, don't want to go to the office, and B, they're too expensive in London, quite frankly. So you know, engineering, we've done out of Poland, Spain, Sweden, uh, and things like that. And that works. I think when you're set up on lockdown, you work it out. You know, I think a lot of people who were set up in the old world of you know everyone's in the office, never fully immersed themselves in remote working because they were hoping one day they'd be back in the office. We never had expectations. The office said, don't know what it is, can't afford an office anyway. So uh, because we're a startup, so we'll just sort of make it work you know, this way from day one. So from our angle, we're never going to have an office. Now on these sort of what do we see with our clients? So a lot of our clients existed before lockdown. And what are they doing now? The majority, over half our clients are scale ups. So seed, C- series A, series B, growth companies. The rest are a, a mixed bag of government, you know, big public companies, you know, private equity, etc. But if I look at the, you know those sort of scale ups, most of them do have an office. Most of them would hope people are in between one and three days a week. No one's insisting on five because they know they'll have a mutiny. And even on five, I mean, I think to be honest, no one's really worked out hybrid yet. So still, like, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, the only ones that have worked it out, I think, are the ones that are 100 percent remote because then it's kind of easy.
2: If if there's scale ups, though. I mean, on one hand, we talk to entrepreneurs and they say, I'm running a scale-up company. I work, you know, 250% of my time all the time. So how do these people live fractional lives, fractional careers?
0: So, so effectively, we, we don't you know, place the founder in a scale-up. They do work 200 hours a week. What we do is help them with fractional talent. So let's take Seed as a great example most founders, they raise a couple of million and say, I need to professionalize finance, but they can't afford a whole CFO. So what do they do? They hire a fractional CFO. Uh, a lot of them want to chief of staff. They can't afford a whole one. They hire a fractional one. A lot of companies that maybe at seed or Series A say, I need to expand internationally. Well, they'd, yeah, it, let's say you're a European company, want to launch in the US or vice versa. It's pretty dumb to say, I need to launch in the US. I'm going to hire a GM or an MD for the US, as step one. Mm -hmm. Because what if you hire them with profile A and then you realize the strategy requires profile B? So the best thing to do is hire some fractional experts, former CROs or international expansion people, write the strategy, test the strategy, and then hire someone once it's working. We fill in the gap. So we'll find the experts who can build a sales force internationally, do marketing sales, whatever internationally. So we'll put together a project team of three to five people to write the strategy, test the strategy, get a few leads, get a few customers, and then say, right, this is now working. How about hiring a CRO or a a GM or whatever it might be? So all companies should do this, but a lot of big companies haven't got the memo yet. But basically, startups, scale-ups, even private equity-backed companies, the ones that are kind of watching every dollar have realized that you don't need full-time employees to do most stuff. I mean, if you really think about when do you need a full-time employee, when there's a job that's 50 weeks a year, 40 hours a week is unlikely to be outsourced, unlikely to be automated and won't change too much. How many jobs fit that description? Not many. Yeah. So we believe the organization of the future is much smaller core headcount with a lot more fractional people plugging in to get stuff done, you know, for a part of a week or or for a few weeks or whatever it might be, but in a sort of basically a a not 100% full-time employee way.
2: And this is international? Yes. So somebody with a company in the UK can hire a fractional person, you know, a couple of arms and legs uh, in the US and another bit here over in uh, Turkey. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. For sure.
0: So we've got people in every country in the world because we found it on lockdown, you know, borders didn't exist and and arguably they don't exist anymore. It does kind of amuse me in some ways when companies or countries try to keep people out by controlling visas. You know, most of our members have clients in a different country and they just work abroad, you know, but from home.
2: What about employment regulations? Do you bump into that at all or is that- They don't really affect
0: this part of the market. Most of our members form a company mm. and then when they sell their services, they're selling consulting services as a business. Okay. So I think at the more junior levels of the market, you know, when you get like say companies just saying, I don't know, I don't want employees because I want to avoid unions or I want to avoid sick pay. That's a whole different conversation, but most of our members are pretty senior. They generally form companies because that way they can form teams and things more easily. And they don't have just one client, they'll have multiple clients. So it's basically totally by choice, you know, forming companies of one to do whatever work makes them happy. There was an interesting survey by Forbes about a year ago It was fascinating because they interviewed people about their career aspirations and fears and other things, but they also did it by level of success. Kind of interesting. One of the stats that fascinated me is that of the highly successful people, people on a fast track in a professional career, 71% said they did not see their future career within a company. So at the very top of the market, most people don't want to work for a company. They want to be independent. <laughs> why? Because I guess they know they can teach themselves these skills. They know they can build a network. They know they can get stuff done. Yeah, et cetera. So it's like, they, they probably think I can do this. So why should the speed with which you develop be developed depend on other people? Why not teach yourself skills and move faster? Why should your salary be decided by someone else? Why not you know, find supply demand gaps and fill them and make more money? It's too controlling being part of an organization. So that was the stat number one, which was fascinating. And then the second one, the thing is, it, within that same survey, they said, what would stop you? And there were three things. One was, it's pretty difficult to be a one-person company. You know, if you've come out of marketing, great. You know marketing, but you don't necessarily know sales or finance or fulfillment or whatever. If you know ops, great, but you're not very good at marketing or finance. It's like not many people have actually learned how to run a company. Even if it's only a company of one, you kind of need to run a company. That's number one, Complexity. Number two was loneliness. So at least at the company I do actually have colleagues and off sites and you know, training courses and stuff. And then number three was stability of earnings. All these people knew they could earn money, but could they do it 12 months of the year? And I'd say what we aim to solve is all three of those. And I think we were doing two and a half well out of three. So on the, it's, it's hard, we make it easier. I think we've identified all the tricky bits of launching a portfolio career. And we've got either courses or articles or help or guides for that. On the loneliness we literally are a community of people who help each other connect with each other support each other whether you want to cry celebrate uh get some advice etc number three is always going to be the hard one because we don't have enough work demand coming our way to make sure everyone gets work. And quite frankly some people you know, people need to help themselves when it comes to work we can help people brand themselves do a better job of biz dev we can also build a brand around the talent in our community so to say Everyone here is a good human and we've checked them out and they're not going to let you down, they're not going to lie, but we can't really judge, are you a great AI consultant? You know, that that's hard to do. So I think, and I'm pretty comfortable with two, solving two and a half of the three problems. So, yeah, that's kind of, it fits very neatly with that survey. That survey happened after we launched the company. When I read it, I felt, phew, <laughs> <laughs> if it said something else, we would have had to pivot.
2: So it's been in existence, you said, about three years. Three of years. yeah Arguably, the COVID time period was a different dynamic. Mm-hmm. But are you um, seeing, I- I'm still curious whether this, you feel this is the trend of the future? Because I know that sort of the younger generations, this feels very in a way, comfortable. But I'm curious Your examples of, you know, I'm a retired general or I'm a this or I'm a that. Are you just seeing the organization change at all? The
0: first thing I'll say is when, because it, I founded the company literally three weeks into lockdown or something because everything was happening so fast.
2: Yeah, yeah. But
0: the data I had was reports written before lockdown. Okay. And this is from Harvard, from the US government, from the OECD, like big re- responsible things, looking at the future of work. And all of them, one way or another said, by 2030, and this is obviously before we even knew what COVID was, mm. by 2030, half of all workers would not just have one day job. This is at every level of society, not just you know professionals or blue or whatever. Because in essence, they saw all these macro trends colliding of the pace of change would get faster, so companies need to be more flexible. Permanent hiring, you know, if you think about it, it takes three to six months to find someone, then a three-month notice period, then three-month induction, you've lost a year. Who can predict a year in advance these days? It's pretty hard. Uh, so everyone needs more flexibility. You also, by having a lower core headcount, you have lower fixed costs, which is good for a business. But also, the, so, so companies want it. It's not one way or the other. Companies want a lower fixed headcount, lower fixed costs, etc. But they also be able need to be able to ramp fast. Oh, this initiative works. I need a team tomorrow. Uh, you know, okay, we've actually just realized that sales in I don't know France are really going well. The team of two needs to be a team of twenty. Mm-hmm, You've got one week to go. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever it might be, but. But it's like all these kind of, or, or this isn't working, shut it down. You know. Uh, so there's like, you just spin things up and shut things down much faster than ever before. If you look at things like new companies being opened in the US, we're still hitting record highs and something like 80% of those companies are single person companies. So there's more and more Americans literally saying, I need a company for me to do business as me. Uh, so that's not going anywhere. I think there was another thing stat recently that fifty-one percent of Americans now have at least two incomes, of working Americans. So it's like it's definitely happening in the US and the UK. Other countries seem to be slightly behind, but not far. Like they'll be at forty percent instead of fifty or something like that. So it's definitely happening. And so to me, that I don't lose any sleep over is this happening. It's more like how is it happening. So you mentioned something which is, um, you know, young people kind of want a portfolio career. Old people don't. Our average age of our community is probably forty-five, so um, it's not your twenty-somethings. We're not. We don't care about age. We've got some people in their twenties and some in their sixties, but there's a, a lot in their thirties, forties, fifties.
2: Yeah.
1: Are you seeking to recruit startup founders then, who are obviously not fractional? They're working, you know, very long days and very long weeks. Do you, do you see those as as valid members of the community?
0: Yeah, we kind of do. So, so my observation: we haven't really actively sought out founders, but we have a lot. So simplistically, the kind of um, bootstrapping and pre-seed founders, a lot of them will join the portfolio collective because it's a bit like having a, an accelerator on steroids. We've got 9,000 experts on everything and they're all really nice. Quite frankly, you ask them for advice, they'll give you advice. So it's like a free accelerator. We don't take any equity. You get 9,000 experts to help you. You know, how cool is that? What we find is around about the seed level, they've got more money than time and they kind of don't really want to be part of the community. They just want to tap into the talent. And that's fine for us because then they pay us. Um, and so that's a revenue source that, you know, we get paid to help them find the right fractional experts.
2: How about technology? So it, what what role is technology playing in uh, your whole development? I mean, obviously, connectivity is one. But how else are you leveraging some of the, you know, AI trends or some other things going on?
0: Yeah, so it's interesting. So obviously, at the core of what we do, well, the core of what we do is people, but there is a platform that connects those people. So, yeah. Effectively, we, there's no way we could support thousands or tens of thousands of people in their careers without a platform. So, for example, we have lots of learning management systems to manage people through courses and you know, tests and progression on courses. We've got the ability to fill out your profile. We've got messaging functionality, uh, event management. So we've basically stitched together a lot of stuff to be able to manage all of that, You know, um, all the workflows. Then we started to use, I guess it would be AI, but we've built some bots that help people in a personalized way that's a bot. We've actually got, so our head of community, now she's the head of marketing, She started with a community called Ella, and she's lovely. And the whole community love her because she's been the one welcoming people, helping them, etc. And we built a bot that does a lot of what she does regularly, and we call it Bella because it's the bot version of Ella. (laughs) And so... It, it has a really nice personalized workflow when people sign up to help them, you know, get started.
2: That's the that's the ultimate compliment. I've got a bot named after me. Right? Uh, yeah,
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> ben, I'd like to uh, take you back now to the end of the last century. So let's say the 1990s, uh, when you were in the British Army, You you were at Sandhurst and yeah. then you left Sandhurst and you... Um, joined the British Army, and you had a, uh, a very interesting career in the army, especially in uh, in Bosnia and some 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 parts of the world. Can, can you just quickly cover that that period of your life and share with our listeners what lessons of leadership did you acquire during that period that has now helped you to the present day?
0: I, I wanted to join the army since I was about three, and I wasn't from a military family. My dad was an accountant, mum was a teacher, kind of thing. So just uh, bog standard middle class family. I wanted to join the army. And as a teenager, I realized I wanted to be an engineer as well because I was good at maths and physics and stuff. And then I learned about this scheme whereby there was a boarding school paid for by the MOD for potential officers, providing they were prepared to do an engineering degree. And I really wanted to go to boarding school, but my parents couldn't afford it. And it's like, so I get to be an engineer and join the army and go to boarding school. And it's all paid for by someone else. You know, where do I sign? So I went and spent two years at boarding school. So effectively, I passed the entry for Santa's age 15 in order to go to boarding school founded by the MOD, and then I went from state school to Santa's to so officer training, but also picked up an engineering degree later on, so I'm a civil engineer. And I spent 10 years in the Royal Engineers, basically traveling around the world, building things and blowing things up. Um, I have got through a lot of explosives in my time. In Bosnia, I was there as part of a multinational brigade that helped end the siege of Sarajevo. In Northern Ireland, I was involved in building bomb-proof structures I had a really interesting time in the Army. You obviously learned a lot and you get put through a lot of rigorous like, leadership training and other things. Coming back to your question about how does that help in later life? When you've been in the Army and been to war, nothing else is that scary anymore. And a lot of people get really stressed about a deck or a client who is a bit stressed or whatever and say, no one's dying. Let's all just calm down and work it out. You Which know? doesn't I mean don't have a sense of urgency, but they don't panic. You know, There is no need to panic. And so I think this is a calmness under pressure that pretty much every ex-military person that I know um, has, which is kind of nice. Um, there probably is a lot of the leadership training that you take for granted in the Army because everyone goes through the same thing, that you don't really see many weak leaders. And then you get out of the Army and think, oh my God, 2,000 of people of, of leaders are not leaders. They're kind of you know, pretty terrible at it. Right. So the, and I, and I, you know, there, obviously, there are commercial pressures, like you know, officer training is a year long, you know, and then you go through extra training along the way. Whereas you know most companies can't afford to send people off for a year to do leadership training, it's, it's it's not economic. But being in an organization where everyone's competent, that's something you don't find in many other places. Yeah, you know, I, I, especially as a mixture of the army's organized, and I was uh, in the Royal Engineers where everything is a project, you know. And so, kind of organization and project management is probably another skill that was very handy in later life. A few people have pointed out to me. I don't know if it's true, but. In the startup world, you are always building things and blowing things up.
2: That's interesting.
0: Which I don't, I never really saw it that way. But a lot of people said to me, you're so comfortable saying, well, that didn't work. Try something else kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, they if they get started on a plan, they want to get to the end of the plan. I'll say, yeah, scrap it. it didn't work. Um, so that might be a military thing. Maybe that's a personality thing. I don't know.
2: I think, no, I think that's very interesting because you're right. A lot of people, it's like they fall in love with the first idea. It becomes them. It's their ego and they can't let it go no matter what. And an engineer also looks at things very practically. Is it working? Is it not working? It may look pretty, but is it working? You know?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What is it now that, that really inspires you and drives you? And what are your current aspirations for yourself?
0: I, I'm in a nice position now where I can do what I love. And generally, I can monetize some of it and monetize enough for it to pay the bills. So, I'm not living off savings or whatever. So, and two of my favorite things are helping people have great careers and helping founders build great businesses. And yeah, I've definitely built an ecosystem where I can do both all day, every day, which is nice. So, um, right now, two thirds of my working life is building the portfolio. So, I wanted to see it thrive. I want to see it yeah, profitable. It's, we're nearly there, probably a few months away, which is nice. I want to see it scalable beyond, let's say, a lot right now I spend on myself and Fiona, my co-founder. How do we make it, you know, really scalable globally? More people in leadership positions, you know, more yeah, more leaders in other geographies, et cetera. So I want to see it really thrive. And then ideally I'd probably become chairman or step up to the board. And let someone else run it because I actually really love my portfolio career. Yeah. So, so it's like I had a portfolio career I didn't like corporate life, and then I kind of founded a company, which means I get sucked back into doing one thing
2: full time. Here you are full time. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Well, not full time. <laughs> it's more like seventy percent. But it's uh, so I do I, I do mentor a few founders. I sit on a few other boards. I teach still teach with University. I still do the odd speech. So partly I enjoy it. Partly it pays the bills. Partly I think it'd be a hypocrite if I say everyone should have a portfolio career and then I ditched my all my stuff going on in my life. Um. But but also because I love it. Ultimately, I think I will always be a portfolio professional because I like it. I like the, the intellectual stimulation. I like the variety. I like finding synergies between different parts of my life, etc. So I think for me, this is definitely it. And there is part of me that thinks if you look at my career, it has changed about once per decade. You know, ten years in the army, ten years in big business, ten years in tech. Maybe ten years now. It's not over yet. But a few years into future of work portfolio careers, yeah. Is there another chapter that's different, you know, like politics or or charity or something totally different? And I like the idea of politics, but they need to let politicians be more portfolio professionals. Why do you need to, you know, be in parliament to vote? Why can't you vote on an app? Um, you know, let people have portfolio careers, one of which is being a politician. Um, so maybe I need to fix government so that I can enter it or something like that.
1: Wow. Yeah, fascinating. <laughs> so I,
0: I don't know where it will take me, but basically, I'm loving life right now, building something that I I believe in and keeping some portfolio career on the side. And I'd love to, at some stage, go back to a bit more of a portfolio career.
1: What final piece of advice would you give a professional that seeks a portfolio uh, career, a a, a fractional career? And uh, how do people find you and connect with you and your firm?
0: I'll answer the second one first, which is it's just portfolio-collective.com, or just quite frankly, Google, what is a portfolio career? You'll find us, we've got some very good SEO. But in terms of next steps, The key is get started even if i know that doesn't mean ditch the day job today it means start thinking about what would you do start thinking about a side hustle you know one of the best ways to start a portfolio especially if you have the the luxury of time is start a side hustle and that way you're going through what do i do what do i sell how do i price it you're probably starting a company working out how to do your taxes there's a whole lot of stuff you can learn from the complete safety of you know safety net of the day job as it starts working you can then wind down the day job to four days a week three days a week whatever And at some stage, you know, quit corporate life and say, right, my side hustle is working. So I think that's the one if you've got time. Now, obviously, not everyone has the luxury of time. Some people quit or get laid off or are already in a portfolio career and just need to make it work. For those people, quite frankly, join the Portfolio Selective and we'll help you, um, you know, get up and running as fast as possible.
1: Wonderful piece of advice there, Ben. So on that point, we'll say thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate all of your time and advice. It's been a fascinating conversation.
0: It's been a pleasure. Thank you.
1: Well, Shelley, I really enjoyed that conversation with Ben. He's a very interesting character, isn't he?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what I found really fascinating was his codification, if you will, of the concept of uh, fractional work this concept of having a portfolio career you know so many of us do this but i never really thought about it in the straightforward organized way that that he depicts it and one of the things i found particularly interesting and appropriate is how this concept of fractional working or career can apply to startups because you know so many startups don't have the money to put on a full-time staff, a CFO, a CMO, et cetera, et cetera. And so here is a beautiful solution to that problem. So that particularly struck me as a benefit of this concept.
1: Well, I've known Ben for a little while, and uh, you know his career is really, for me, very, very interesting uh, because it it didn't turn out to be a career in a straight line you know he started uh, in the military and a lot of leadership skills come from a career in the military and i think he shows that throughout his career and of course he's worked for some big companies hasn't he uh, coca-cola and uh, and also google but what was interesting for me was that he was basically he's an accidental startup founder You know, he found himself in lockdown, uh, answering lots of questions and didn't want to have to repeat those answers all the time uh, individually. So he he set a group up and then before he knew it, he had a website and suddenly he was uh, a founder and a CEO of a community. And I think, you know, um, in life, sometimes you've got to just grab those opportunities when they present themselves. And I think uh, Ben is a a brilliant example of that. And clearly uh, it's going very well for him. And uh, it's become quite successful. So a really interesting story.
2: Absolutely. I enjoyed it. And I loved his comment about politics. Why can't politics be part of of one's uh, career portfolio, right? Why can't you do it part time? So he had some very fun ideas. It was an enjoyable and interesting conversation.
1: Thanks for listening to Startup Sensations. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode get in touch with us email hello at startupsensations.com. and don't forget to follow the startup sensations podcast on our linkedin page and watch episode highlights on our youtube channel
2: we love hearing your feedback and questions so send us a message or a voice note to the whatsapp number you'll find in the description
1: And that's it for another episode of the Startup Sensations podcast. Thank you to our guest, Ben Legg.
2: And we look forward to seeing you guys next time.